Sometimes they're good stories, sometimes they're quite sad stories. And sometimes, unfortunately, some autobiographies aren't altogether, altogether true. And, of course, we know some biographies are certainly not true at all because they're written by people too close to the person they're writing about. But having said all that, so the, the opportunity to explore through other people's experience issues that are relevant for ourselves is really valuable, isn't it? And I'm very happy to learn off other people so I don't have to go through some of that. I think there's some good sense in seeing where some other people have made some, some not good choices and to learn from that so we don't necessarily have to go down that way. Well, that's what we say to our kids, don't we? We're trying to tell them, don't do that. I did that and look what happened. But, of course, generally all of us want to say, well, I want to make my own mistakes, thank you. One of the things I love about this story about Nehemiah is it is first person and you get that as Sue was reading that for us. This is this man's own story and he wants to tell us what's happened for him. So we get that, that sort of that, that heartfelt sense of this is what happened. Let me tell you. Yes, as Brian's already said, it is two and a half thousand years ago in a history of Israel at a very different period of where Israel is today. But yet the reality is it is relevant for all of us because that's the reality of God's word to us. It strikes me always as I come to it over, and now it's been over a number of years, I come back to the word of God and it speaks into my life situations. So I don't know what you're rebuilding at the moment. Brian's already referred to the fact that as a community of faith here, we're in a process of some rebuilding. But each of us personally too at different times are finding ourselves with a sense of saying, okay, this is an area of my life where I've got to rebuild it. I've got to redo the gates. I've got to fix up the wall. I've got to do those things. Now, of course, the truth is for Jerusalem, the temple was there. So in a sense, the call was there. The presence of God, as I understood that in that era, that God was present in that building, that the, the temple was there. But the surrounds were gone. And for some of us, maybe even this morning, there's a sense of, look, I have a, a deep sense of who God is for me. The core is okay, but my goodness, around the edges, there's some things I need to be working on, I need to be doing. So I say to myself as I come to this passage of Scripture, Lord, what is it that you would want me to be reminded about, both for me personally and for me collectively in the community of people I find my spiritual home in? Because what we discover in this is a remarkable event. I mean, in the narrative that Sue's already read for us, we hear a little bit of how Nehemiah goes around and he has a look at the, the scale of the operation. And at one point you would have heard the narrative said it's, that the walls were in such a mess I couldn't even get through. I had to go backtrack. That they were just done. The, the gates, which were the, the critical entry safety points, were all destroyed. So there, were, there was no protection for this community of people. And Nehemiah comes and he sees a level of destruction. And he begins the work. It's about one and a half kilometres around. It was going to be about six metres high. And it was about one and a half metres wide. Now we have got some surveyors and engineers in the room who could probably give us some sense of the quantity of stonework that we needed to achieve that. And of course some of that stonework was there. It was just a rebuilding exercise. But the critical issue is, the amazing thing is, Nehemiah completed that work in seven weeks. So what we've got here is narrative now, post-event of what happened. It's remarkable. How does this man achieve that in that short space of time? What are the keys in this? Now, this isn't necessarily a sermon about how to be successful, although we all want to do well, but it's more about what are the provisions that I have available to me that are going to assist me in my exercise of this rebuilding 
or for us as a community of faith, what are the resources that God's given us that we should be accessing if we want to really find our way forward and do the rebuilding we believe God's calling us to do? Well, I just think out of this passage, we see three simple principles that Nehemiah shares with us out of his own life experience and, and journey. The first thing is what I call serenity. Serenity through prayer. Now, you, you heard the passage. Then in the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Arxis, when the wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd, I'd been sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? Are you not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And here's for me a key for our sense of how do we face the issue we're facing. What does he say? What happens next? Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. See, for Nehemiah, there was a, a deep sense of awareness of who God was for him. We sang that lovely song a moment ago. Thanks, Dan, and the team again for that. Who am I? I'm a child of God. That's who I am. At my core, I've come to understand who it is. Yes, creator, sustainer, yes. That's who God is for me. And here is Nehemiah acting out of that in that situation. I'm in a situation where I'm not sure where to go. I'm clearly nervous about this, he's saying, because he's come before the king. And now the king asks him a question. What do you want? Now, he had a list. I think we're going to see that. He has a list. But yet what he knows is I need God's wisdom in this. Now, James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him pray to God. And here's the issue, I think, for us again and again and again at our core. If I want to have a level of peacefulness, of serenity, then I need to understand at my core who God is for me. And that's a declaration of dependence. Because that's what prayer is. It's this declaration that I'm dependent on God. I'm, I'm not capable of this in myself and without his direction. Oh, it's not that we don't sometimes go down that track and think we're omnicompetent and, and believe what we say about ourselves or what others say about us, that we are absolutely able to do this. And, of course, there is a whole life philosophy about that. You know, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way stuff. But the truth is, without the wisdom of God, we are bankrupt. Without his wisdom for us. So I pray to the God of heaven. You know, it, it's such a privilege it's a privilege which I often overlook about this immediate access that you and I have to the God of all creation. I'm reminded of an occasion over recent years in my role with the Baptist movement in Australia, I've had occasion to represent us in meetings with senior politicians. In the middle of the same-sex marriage debate, we had an invitation from the Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, at that stage. You have to be careful which Prime Minister you're talking about. I don't know our history of Prime Ministers in recent years, but it was Malcolm. It was, of course, not particularly supportive of the church's position on same-sex marriage. And so we were invited to go. It was very formal. We got those formal invitations. We get to Parliament House in Canberra. You go through the security. If you've been there, you know that exercise. Then you wait, and then one of his, uh, one of his officials comes down, and then they have to sign you in, and you do all that, and you get your tag, and then you go through another level of security, which is very, very necessary in our quite weird world these days. And then we finally got into the area where the Cabinet meets, and we're now in a room waiting for the Prime Minister to come. 
Now, as it turned out, he never came. But at, later in the day, we realised it was a major internal party crisis that he was having to solve, so it was a good reason why he didn't come. And we weren't overtly offended, and subsequently had another meeting. But what struck me was, here's the exercise to get to someone who has some power in Australia. It's by special invitation, it's for a whole security exercise, and then a waiting, and then a move into another area, and then it didn't happen. And when I think about our access right now, right now, our access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Sovereign Lord, the Creator, I say to myself, and I say, Keith, why? why do you take that access for granted? Why don't you access that all the time? Paul says, we pray without ceasing. It's a sense of, it's not I want, I've got a lot of requests to God, it's more except this one, Lord, I need your wisdom right now. I need your words on my lip right now. I need to know how to respond in this situation. Lord, give me that. And so here's Nehemiah reminding us of this powerful reality of prayer. See, because what prayer does, prayer causes us to, to reevaluate ourselves in that way. To remind ourselves who is God, who is the created, who is the creator, who is the human here, and I need to get that in the right order. And as I get that in the right order, then I open myself up to the work of the Holy Spirit to challenge, to encourage, to teach, to guide. One of the things that strikes me as we read through this story of Nehemiah, and I encourage you to do that, um, is that you see this man often under an immense pressure, under immense uh, stress, but yet always in prayer. I mean, I'm not going to run through all of those moments of prayer, but they're there when he wants to respond to situations. We've seen it already twice now. Last week when Brian preached on the beginning, chapter 1, you see his prayer to God, such an open, honest, deep prayer. And here again now, this, this prayer to God again. And we're going to see as the, as the passages unfold over the weeks ahead, again, that, that same kind of prayer. Uh, in chapter 4, he talks about, oh God... For we are despised and they've thrown insults in the face of the builders in the building process. Or again, uh, we pray to our God in 4.9 before taking some defensive measures. Or in 6.9, and we're all trying to frighten us, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And then in 6.16, this work was done with the help of our God. (laughs) Here is a man who understands the created order. Here is a man who understands who is the one with the wisdom? Here's a man who understands the privilege of access to God. I'm not sure where you are today or where your issues. I'm well aware of my own. And what I know is that I'm not going to find any good wisdom if I haven't first asked God, the God of all wisdom, to guide me and lead me. And I want to encourage you. Brian's already mentioned the prayer event, the 13th, 15th of March. And I'd encourage you to be saying to yourself even now, that's an area I want to be... I want to be with my friends, my brothers and sisters, and I want to be in this place saying, Lord, give us your wisdom. Give us your wisdom, your wisdom for the future, your wisdom for the pastoral search team as they look forward to where you're leading us, Lord, in future direction. Lord, I need your wisdom, and I want to be with like-minded people as we do that together. Yes, and you see that lovely in verse 8. <laughs> the king grants his requests. And what does Nehemiah says? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me. Access and then a recognition of God's work in our lives and their lives. 
The second principle I see here, not just this whole issue of, of a serenity through prayer, but what I want to call a stimulus through God's call. Understanding God's call and employing his guidance to the task at hand. In another word, purpose. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I hadn't told anyone that what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There are no mounts there except for the one I was riding on. See what he says, I went to Jerusalem. Why does he go to Jerusalem? Well, we know already from the chapter 1 that there's a, a call on Nehemiah. Now, it might well have been a call on Nehemiah because of his position in the king of Persia's household. He was a cupbearer. He had a significant role there. He was an influencer. That's who he was. I mean, it's interesting days and on, in our multimedia world, in our social media, there are people who are influencers. And if they promote a product, everyone loves it and buys it, apparently. Well, that's what I'm told, anyway. I must admit, I'm not as familiar with some influencers as others might be. But having said that, here's exactly... It's a, it's a question of position. Nehemiah was in a position of some influence. He had a capacity to be in the king's presence. And he understood that because of that then, he needed to be open to what God would use him in that. And I say that only because many of us find ourselves in positions of influence. Now, we certainly do it in our families. There's no question about our influence in our families. And if you read the studies that indicate that, about what are the primary influences of people in their life? Well, it's their family of origin. It's what they've learned from their parents. And so for those in this room with those privileges, we need to remind ourselves that we are influences in there. And, and how are we using that? And then for many of us here in our workplaces, in our community places, we have influence. The question is, like it was for Nehemiah, I've placed you in this position. Are you going to use your influence for kingdom things, for things that are eternally valuable, or are you going to waste that influence? Well, Nehemiah responds. He understood what God had called him to do. He understood God's calling him to, to be involved in this process of rebuilding. And it strikes me that when you get to that, then you see why this is so important to understand what it is that God's called you and me to do. Oh, yes, we could say certainly as a community of faith, it's quite clear. You know, Jesus says, you know, as the Father sent me, so I send you. There's no question. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 talks about how through the local church, God wants to clear his manifold wisdom and compassion to the whole world. There's a sense in which what we, why we exist as a community is clear. But so too for us individually. What's your life purpose? How do you understand that? Because you see, what, what compels Nehemiah, what restrains Nehemiah, no, 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 what releases Nehemiah is his sense of understanding that God had called him to do this thing. Purpose drives action. Why am I doing this? Why am I involved? What's my part in this? Why is this happening? Well, as I understand, this is what God's asked me to do. As I understand this is what he's calling me to do at this moment, then that gives me the energy, the motivation, the direction to continue in spite of opposition, in spite of problems, despite fatigue. So in verse 12... After Nehemiah comes back and expects it, then he goes to the officials and he says to them, you see the trouble we're in? 
Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned from the fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be a disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. There's a couple of things for me just in those. In verse 12, you see, when Nehemiah begins this journey, he goes with a few others. What God had put in my heart. Here's the value of a discerning community that you want to be a part of. This myth in our Western world about you know, the solo man, the doing on his own, that whole stuff is just an absolute myth. None of us do it on our own. No man is an island. And here is the lovely statement about Nehemiah, not, not, decl- not herald greatly, but saying, with a few others. I guess the question is, who are your few others? Who are my few others? I call them my discernment community. Some of them know it specifically. Some don't realise that as I chat to them, I'm listening to what God might be saying through them for me and for the situation I'm in. One of the valuable places I discover that even in my early journey as a believer when I first went teaching in a country town after coming to faith at university was to be discipled, uh, although we didn't call it that, by another group of teachers who in that town in the Riverina. The value of that small group of people. And I'd encourage you to think about that. Where Nehemiah needed a group around him, needed a group of with him. Who's your group? If you're in the life of this church regularly, are you in a small group? Are you in a place where that is? Where there's some other people you can reflect with, talk about, pray with, speak into, hear from. And then he says in verse 17, see the trouble we're in. (laughs) What I love about that is this honest, inclusive appraisal. (laughs) This is not going to be an easy gig. It's not going to be easy to rebuild. Got to be honest about where we're coming from. He says to them, look at it, the walls are down, the gates are burnt. But you see what he says, he doesn't say you. See the inclusive me. He, he owns this himself too. I'm in this together. We're very used at times to some people, consultants and others, coming in and telling us what we need to do. I've always wanted to be a consultant. <laughs> this is what you need to do. And then they leave and go away. This is not about a consultant. I'm not, I'm sorry, there are probably some very excellent consultants in this room today. I'm not being rude about it at all. But it's, here's the reality, but we're in this together. There's no passengers here, there's no spectators, there's no one watching on the side. Although we discover for Nehemiah there are. <laughs> but here's that sense of we're in it together. And then he tells them, verse 18, I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. Now, that wouldn't surprise what we've already said about his dependence on God through prayer, that serenity, but here's that, that declaration again. God is with me. I'm trusting his guidance for this. Now, it's not that all that was going to fall down on a page. <laughs> Here are the ten things you need to do, because it didn't happen that way. But what it is but the sense of in that, here is Nehemiah seeking God's direction on that. And then finally, in verse 20, he says, the God of heaven will give us success. He's the confidence in God's promises. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you will never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you in the midst of these things, you does not change who you are. In spite of my world in a bit of a mess, you are not. In spite of my world seeming to crumble, you haven't. 
you are still sovereign God. Thank you. Thank you. The God of heaven will give us success. See, purpose is a key in that, understanding that. And then the third and final thing I just want to reflect on for a moment is strategy through partnership. Accepting his invitation to be on his team, I call this the gift of people. Leshebeb, the high priest, and the fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate and dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanol. The men of Jericho all built the adjoining sector, and Zachur, the king of uh, the son of Imrim, built next to him. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole of chapter three. Um, it's a great narrative, and some of you are, what is it all about? Chapter three just lists all these people. But that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about a community of people who stand shoulder to shoulder. It's about some people who, who in this crucible, work together. It's quite a fascinating read, actually, as you start to unpick it. Every person committed to a common cause. Verses 17 and 18 in chapter 2. Come, let us rebuild the wall. And they reply, let us start rebuilding. Under the... Sovereignty of God through the wisdom of prayer, Nehemiah understanding the purpose attracts others to that common purpose. And now they're going to do it together. And it's remarkable what they do. Now, as I said, everyone committed to a common cause. We do know not everyone was committed to the common cause. There were the outsiders who already said, you, this can't possibly be done. <laughs> who do you people think you are? Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. <laughs> It can't be done. And we'll see that constant theme over the next weeks as we continue in this narrative. And there'll be some good lessons for us about how do we deal with that sort of constant criticism, that constant belittling of us in a way. And then, of course, there's those who are inside the camp who are sense almost as saying, well, we're just passengers here. We'll watch what happens. We'll watch what happens, but we're not going to really get heavily involved in this. It's beneath us, or we're not interested so every person committed to a common cause and then every person has a unique place in achieving the common cause. I mean, this is the other remarkable thing that I notice in this passage. It's about all of us. Yes, we're in it together, we're a common humanity, but we all bring our own giftedness to that and we all bring our own unique DNA to that. Isn't that great, but None of you have to be like me and I don't have to be like you. What a relief that is, isn't it? You say to yourself at this moment. But that's sometimes the problem. Sometimes we get the sense of we've all got to be one sort of person and God only uses this sort of a person. No. God has created all people. He created us with our unique DNA. He knew our background. He knows my genealogy better than I'll ever know it. And yours. And so he calls us then out of that uniqueness to apply our uniqueness to the task at hand. And so if you were to read through that Patriots, chapter 3 and verse 1, the, king, the high priest and the fellow priest went to work at the sheep gate. In fact, there's 75 different people mentioned in 15 different groups in this, this chapter. So you've got a whole group. You've got priests, high priests, temple servants, you've got goldsmiths, you've got merchants. You've got a community of people, all with different backgrounds and skills, who find themselves caught up in a common, common purpose to do what God has called them to do. And then finally, each person valued for the contribution to the common cause. There's some lovely stuff. Verse 12 talks about one man with the help of his daughters. And then another man who said he zealously repaired another section. I wonder why Nehemiah needed to add that qualifier 
Perhaps he was a guy who worked beyond and beyond. I'm not sure. But what is interesting is for me, as Nehemiah writes this, he refers to particular people. But it's a, this chapter th- 3 is actually, this is a thank you note. This is a statement. These are the people who joined. These are the people who put their shoulders to the wheel. These are the people who used their gifts, their abilities, their resources to achieve this remarkable thing, to lift the disgrace of Jerusalem, to provide security for the people, to bring hope, restoration, healing. Man, it's no wonder you want to sign up to that sort of thing, is it? It's no wonder you want to say... Show me my part of the wall. Which bit Nehemiah? The bit near my house? Or or further away? Or even some of the people who do this are people who live outside the city. But they recognise the value of it. So they come and contribute. Rebuilding the wall. What has God given us? Well, he's given us access. He's given us prayer. He's given us the capacity, the desire to be with him in prayer. What else has he given us? The underlying purpose. This is what God's called you for. This is what God has called us for. We're the agents of light. We're the agents of hope. We're the agents of transformation. We're the agents of reconciliation. Yes, that's a massive exercise. There's so much has to be rebuilt, whether it's in our families, in our faith community, in our national community. But what else would you want to invest in? Then finally, that lovely reality. We're not called to do it on our own, but out of our giftedness. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes about this dream of the church. He talks about how Jesus has given these gifts. He talks about pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. But why have those been given? To build up the body, to build up the people of the church, to build up the community, so that that community become what God wants it to be, which is the transforming agent of his purposes. Father, we pray your kingdom come as it, is, as it is in heaven and on earth. That's the call. That God's reign will be true in our lives, in our community's lives, and then we'll see it increasingly in the life of our world. Let me pray for us. Father, we stand in awe again. <laughs> you who are creator of all. That you... You had your grace and wisdom. Invite us. Invite us to be on your team. Invite us to use that inherent ability you've given us, those resources you've accessed us with, to use those together with others, that others might know, others might see, others might experience the wonder of your love. We thank you for the transformation you've brought in our lives. We long for that transformation in the wider community. And we thank you now, Father, for this privilege of your call on us to be rebuilders of the walls that you ask us to. Thank you, Father. Now we pray that as you've ministered to us and we've heard the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that he would strengthen us, that we might do that which you've called us to do, that Jesus be glorified as he so richly deserves. And we pray it in his name. Amen.